It's all right. Thank you, Solomon. Actually, that's a, a very good transition uh, into the sermon. And why don't we go ahead and spend some time in prayer as we begin this new year. Father, um, even as Solomon's sharing, I'm reminded of our own family's challenges this year and uh, difficulties that we have faced. And I'm so thankful that um, we have experienced the love of God through many people. Um, and I know that there are many in this place right now who continue to experience difficulties, and I just want to lift them up to you in prayer. May you comfort them, Lord. May, you, uh, may they find solace in you. May they go to the cross where your love ran red. It's through the blood of Christ that we can even come and, and know you and, and be uh, called your children and your family. And so we want to lift ourselves up to you and give you thanks for that. And uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been thinking a little bit about what church means and what it uh, sort of, why it's important in the world today. And uh, as, as Solomon was sharing, that's exactly why the church is important today, is because we need one another and we need to support one another in many different ways. And um, it is a good transition to the message because today um, we're going to continue through our series of Ecclesiastes. We have covered topics ranging from relationships to time to work to pleasure to education to power and position and even worship last week. And so far, um, the preacher the Ecclesiastes, has experienced every possible human experience under the sun, and he has found everything to be lacking, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Today we look at a very important topic in life, one that most, if not all, people must think about in order to get along in this world, and that's money. The two topics probably most difficult to preach on are sex and money. And uh, in the Song of Solomon, I got to preach on sex, and today I get to preach on money. So here you go. In the beginning of the new year, we're going to take a cold, hard look at cold, hard cash. How is your financial plan? How healthy is your portfolio? How healthy is your view of wealth, and what are the ways God is speaking to you about wealth? Here in chapter 5 of the book Ecclesiastes, the preacher comes face to face with the most difficult and challenging topic, wealth and money. Why do you think it's so difficult to talk about money? Anybody? Anybody's thoughts? Why do you think it's such uh, a touchy subject, such a personal subject? Anybody? Envy. What's that? Envy. Envy. Oh, yeah, that's true. You see what somebody else has and... and uh, Maybe you want that, yeah. So it's, it's not easy to talk about money and how we have it and how we collect it and how we spend it, right? Any other thoughts? It reveals people's hearts. Reveals people's hearts. And people are easy at hiding, right? People want to cover up the deepest, darkest things in their heart. But um, it's something that we have to approach. 
And the, the writer of Ecclesiastes isn't afraid to broach the subject of money and its impact on our lives. Like most other things that we've looked at, the preacher's view of money isn't particularly pretty or positive. Remember, he is speaking from the voice of experience. If this is indeed King Solomon's writing and teaching, then remember, he was someone who had the world at his fingertips. He amassed great power through shrewd political alliances, some of which came through marriage with foreign princesses. He also amassed great wealth through trade with his newly established political coalitions. And with this wealth, he built the great temple in Jerusalem, along with gardens and museums and other structures. Last summer, our family had the opportunity to travel and tour through uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, where we toured the palaces of Peter and Catherine the Great. These were amazing buildings with room after room after room of artwork and rugs and furnishings of great value. And I can only imagine that even these were a fraction of what Solomon himself had accumulated. But even with all that, Solomon in Ecclesiastes very easily says that chasing after all these things are meaningless and vanity, a chasing after the wind. So then what does Solomon have to say about money, wealth wealth and riches? Well, we will take a look at the influence of money when God is included, is not included, and when he is included. The first thing that Solomon notes, sorry, I'm going to skip through all of that. Here we go. The first thing that the preacher notes is that without God, money breeds injustice. Money breeds injustice. He says in verses 8 and 9, If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Is there any question that corruption at the highest levels of government exists throughout the world today? So the preacher says that if you see the poor oppressed and justice and rights denied, Don't be surprised at that. Don't be surprised. Power in government or business or education or even the church is everywhere. Where one official is watched by the one above and both of them are watched by others higher still. Corruption can only happen if the person at the very top of the chain is corrupt. And not only allows for corruption, but participates themselves. And then he says this, the increase from the land is taken by all. Everybody profits from business, right? But the king himself profits from the fields as well. Sounds a lot like taxes to me. And while taxes aren't necessarily a bad thing, some money is needed to keep our infrastructure going. How much governmental waste is there happening at every level? Even our local Irvine elections were filled with name-calling and mudslinging. It's kind of pathetic, if you ask me. 
So money, access to it, control over it, collection of it without a godly influence leads to injustice and corruption. I don't think we need to argue about that. But with God, money aids compassion. Money helps us to be compassionate to others. Here's what Jesus taught his disciples regarding those who will meet him one day face to face in heaven. He says in Matthew 25, and actually let's read this together, shall we? Okay? Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you see sick or a prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Is there a righteous use of money? As Jesus taught, whatever you do for the least of these brothers of his, you do for him. Oscar Schindler was a drinking, womanizing profiteer during World War II. He was a German who bought an enamelware factory in Poland to produce cookware for the German army at the beginning of the war. Schindler made millions, millions through his wartime businesses. His millions and his connections helped Schindler to protect his Jewish workers from deportation and ultimately death in the Nazi concentration camps. Initially, Schindler was interested in the money-making potential of the business. But later, he began shielding his workers without regard to cost. As time went on, Schindler had to give Nazi officials ever larger bribes and gifts of luxury items obtainable only on the black market to keep his workers safe. By the end of the war, Schindler had spent his entire fortune on bribes and black market purchases of supplies for his workers. In 1948, after the war was over, he presented a claim for reimbursement of his wartime expenses to the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee, and he received $15,000. He estimated that his expenditures were over $1,056,000, including the cost of camp construction, bribes, and expenditures for black market goods, including food. After the war, Schindler immigrated to Argentina, where his business went bankrupt. Schindler died in 1974 without ever really recovering from the war, but he was honored by the state of Israel as righteous among the nations. No one really knew why Schindler did what he did, although part of his biography says that he was raised in a devout Roman Catholic family and that he was friends as a youth 
to two of the sons of a Jewish rabbi that lived in his neighborhood. Even Schindler himself never really explained what motivated his actions. He put his own life in danger in order to protect the lives of over 1,000 Jews. When so many of his countrymen were willing to go along with the Nazi party program, Schindler saw the brutality and atrocities they were committing and was willing to put his life and his bank account on the line to save lives, real people, real lives. People who would go on to have children and continue their heritage, but would not have been able to if Schindler hadn't intervened the way he did. Now, why do I share this with you? Because to me, it is a shining example of how worldly wealth can be used to serve God. I do believe it was a God-given calling to Oscar Schindler to spend his entire fortune to save the lives of 1,200 Jewish people during World War II. Schindler's businesses before and after the war were failures by human standards, but it is as if God had allowed him to become a business success for the sole purpose of saving those 1,200 lives. It does show us an example of the righteous compassionate use of wealth in the world today. But the writer of Ecclesiastes goes on, and he says this about money, that without God, money brings indigestion. Without God, money brings indigestion. Whoever loves money never never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? That is one truism, isn't it? Who remembers the words from the movie Wall Street with Michael Douglas as Gordon Gekko? He said this, The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, greed for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. You might say, well, that's fiction. That's a movie. And it is true. But did you know that that speech was actually based on a true speech? One done by uh, someone named Ivan Boski. If you don't remember, Ivan Boski was a corporate takeover guru who who was a Wall Wall Street darling in the 1980s. That speech was made at the graduation ceremonies of UC Berkeley in 1986. And he said this. This is what Ivan Boski said. In actuality, greed is right, by the way. I want you to know that. I think greed is healthy. You can be greedy and still feel good about yourself. Uh, Newsweek magazine, in commenting on that speech, said, The strangest thing when we come, when we come to look back will not just, not just be that Ivan Bosky could say that at a business school graduation but that it was greeted with laughter and applause. A year after that speech was made, Boski was arrested 
and found guilty of insider trading. He spent three years in prison and was forced to pay a $100 million fine. Greed may be fine for a while, but it will catch up to you. As the verse says, whoever loves money never has money enough. And what happens when your bank account grows? Well, at first it may be satisfying, but if that satisfaction also grows to become dissatisfaction, then you may have a problem. And that problem can lead to indigestion. It's interesting that those who have plenty of wealth aren't content with what they have. They always want more. Sometimes so much that it leads to sleepless nights and anxiety over fluctuations in the stock market or whatever else is happening in the economy. Does wealth lead to peace? Does wealth lead to contentment? If you love money and possessions, not necessarily. As goods increase, the preacher says, so, does, so do those who consume them. What benefit are they to the owner except to feast their eyes on them, to kind of gaze over all their possessions and, be thank- and, and wonder about them? Did you get what you wanted for Christmas? Did you? <laughs> you did. Good. Did you go Black Friday shopping or hit the after Christmas sales? And what if you did get everything you wanted, the latest gadget or technology, the iPhone or iPad or i-whatever? What benefit are they to the owner except to feast your eyes upon them? But be careful because you might break it, you might lose it, or even worse, somebody might steal it from you. Again, more indigestion and sleepless nights. Is all your stuff protected? But with God, money yields contentment. Money yields contentment. Verse 12 says, The sleep of a laborer is sweet. Whether he eats little or much, but the, abundant, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Have you re- ever really worked hard physically, like put in a really good, hard, physical day of work? You tend to sleep pretty well at night, don't you? The sleep of a laborer is sweet. Whether he eats little or much, he is content, knowing that he has put in an honest day's work. But as we noted before, the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. With money, with God, sorry, with God, money and work and an honest day's pay yields contentment, a good night's sleep, the ability to not worry about the abundance in your home, your garage, your bank, your 401k, your mutual fund, etc., etc., etc. Now, is money a bad thing? Is money a bad thing? I don't think that's what the preacher is saying here. Remember, what he did say is the person who loves money has some issues. In the New Testament, we would read, the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. It isn't money itself that is at the root of all kinds of evil. It is the love of money. And what kinds of evil are we talking about here? 
Well, without God, money leads to insignificance. Money leads to insignificance. In verse 13, he says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through misfortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what, he do, and what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Boy, that's a grim picture, isn't it? It's a grim picture. Here are some grievous evils. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune. Robbery, wrong purchases, illegal dealings, the stock market crash, whatever it is, so that there is nothing left for his offspring. Or finally, leaving the earth with, with exactly what he came into the earth with, nothing, not even the clothes on his back. Verse 17 paints this picture. All, the day, all his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Talk about a life of insignificance. You can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have friends and family to share it with, what good is it? What good is it? It reminds me of Ebenezer Scrooge from Dickens' novel, The Christmas Carol, who was really good at making money. But when it came to Christmas and love and generosity, bah humbug. As the saying goes, you can't take it with you. So why live a life of insignificance? Simply piling up money for the sake of piling up more. Now, is there a positive picture the, pre the preacher point paints for us? Sorry, that's a tongue twister. Thankfully, yes. Thankfully, yes. Because with God, money brings peace and life. Money brings peace and life. Verse 18 says, Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labors under the sun, during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives man, any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Does that describe you this morning as you face 2015? I hope it does. But if it doesn't, I hope that you will heed the lessons of the preacher this morning. He finally comes to realize there is a positive when it comes to wealth and money. It is good and proper for a man and a woman to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his labors during the few days of his life, because this is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Every day is a gift from God. On top of that, God grants the ability and opportunities to build wealth and enjoy them. 
also a gift. Also a gift. Don't give up that gift. Don't sacrifice that gift. But, it, but appreciate it and realize that it is a gift. And have an attitude that is grateful for those opportunities. If we have the attitude that everything is a gift from God, that brings peace and life. But let me say one more thing. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If we have been given much, and most of us sitting in this room have been, most of us have been given much, then we can turn around and bless others with that. We really can. Who recognizes this man, this young man? Tebow, very good, Tim Tebow, the Heisman Trophy winner who started the whole Tebowing craze a few years ago. Uh, Even though Tebow won the highest award in college football and the next year led the Denver Broncos to the playoffs, uh, since that time, a few years ago, he has been unemployed as a quarterback in the NFL. He couldn't make it with any other team after being let go by the Broncos. Now, don't feel bad for Tim. He's okay. He's still making millions as a football TV analyst. But did you know um, the TV, the football star turned TV analyst has opened the Tebow Cure Hospital in Davao City, Philippines. I don't know if I said that right for those of you who are from the Philippines or know, know the Philippines. This is a five-story facility that has received its official operating license and opens, opened its doors last month. Physicians are already seeing children with critical orthopedic needs. For Tebow, who was one of people's sexiest men alive this year, the hospital is the result of several years of planning and hard work. Quote from him, we've, we've been waiting a long time for it, he told People Magazine. I'm really excited that it's finally going to happen. We want to provide physical care, but we will also provide spiritual and emotional care as well. The hospital, built in in partnership with Cure International, has 30 beds and three operating rooms. A team of 54 staffers has been hired to see patients. I was born in the Philippines while my parents were missionaries. And I've I've always had a great love and passion for the Filipino people says Tebow 27. It is so exciting to be able to provide healing and care for these incredible, deserving children halfway around the world. Amazing things happen when money is combined with God to bless others. Yesterday I was reminded at the memorial service, okay, end of quote. (laughs) This is me now speaking. Amazing things happen when money is combined with God to bless others. Yesterday, I was reminded at the memorial service of a dear sister in Christ of a verse that says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, you may not be an Oscar Schindler or a Tim Tebow or a Gordon Gecko or even an Ivan Boski, but every one of us has been given access to resources like money and property and time and even our own talents. 
Finances can be used to bless others and even save lives. They can also be a trap and lead to worry and anxiety. And while we all certainly need to be good stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us, they cannot and should not become the focus of our attention and of our lives. As Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters because you will either love one and hate the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. However, you can use money to serve God. I'd like to close our time this morning by watching the final scene of Schindler's List. From it, perhaps, we will be reminded of the greatest value of money used to save a human life. In this scene, the war is coming to an end. The Nazis have lost the war. The danger for the Jews is coming to an end. And as Oskar Schindler escapes himself, he is given a farewell by the 1,200 Jewish men, women, and children that he, has pers- that he was personally responsible for saving. It is a powerful reminder to us of what can be accomplished if we yield everything in our lives, including money, up to God, and to keep our eyes focused on him. Andy, can we uh, turn the lights down a little bit?
this gold to two more people. You would have given me two for at least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. that scene without feeling something deep in my heart. Um, on the back of your um, outline is our meditation for this week. I hope that uh, a little bit of what you heard today moved you somehow. God's word ought to move us. Uh, It's basically the parable that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. And uh, while the parable is a lesson about who is our neighbor, it also highlights God's righteous use of money and God-given resources. And uh, if, if you are reminded to sometime this week, take that meditation and just use it maybe as a, as a, um, a devotional and allow God to speak to you somehow. What would you do this year? How would you make your life significant for Christ's name, for Christ's sake?